Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today, we'll be reading Genesis chapter 28 from the Common English Bible, beginning at verse 1. So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and gave him these orders. Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Get up and go to Padan Aram, to the household of Bethuel, your mother's father, and once there, marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty will bless you, make you fertile, and give you many descendants, so that you will become a large group of peoples. He will give you and your descendants Abraham's blessing, so that you will own the land in which you are now immigrants, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob off, and he traveled to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, and brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Esau understood that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to marry a woman from there. He recognized that when Isaac blessed Jacob, he had ordered him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had listened to his father and mother and gone to Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac considered Canaanite women unacceptable. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, daughter of Abraham's son Ishmael, and sister of Nebaioth, in addition to his other wives. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at that place and put it near his head. Then he lay down there. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase, its foundation on earth, and its top touching the sky, and God's messengers were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly the Lord was standing on it and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. Every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I am with you now. I will protect you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought to himself, The Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. He was terrified and thought, This sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house and the entrance to heaven. After Jacob got up early in the morning, he took the stone that he had put near his head, set it up as a sacred pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He named that sacred place Bethel, though Luz was the city's original name. Jacob made a solemn promise. If God is with me and protects me on this trip I'm taking, and gives me bread to eat and clothes to wear, and I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I've set up as a sacred pillar will be God's house, and of everything you give me, I will give a tenth back to you. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis 28 verse 1, we see that Isaac did not want his son Jacob to marry a woman from Canaan. According to historians Robert Giuseppe and Josephine Quinn, Canaanite religious practices involved both ritual prostitution and the sacrifice of children. 
Throughout the Old Testament, God warns his people not to have any connection with such practices. Unfortunately, in Jesus' time, some religious leaders used this verse and others like it as a justification for racial prejudice against non-Jews, otherwise known as Gentiles. In the minds of these leaders, the biological descendants of Abraham were entitled to a place of privilege in the kingdom of God. Jesus confronted some religious leaders who held this view in the 8th chapter of John's Gospel. These religious leaders had already decided to kill Jesus because they perceived him as a threat to their social standing. They defended themselves and their views by claiming, Our father is Abraham. In John 8, 39-41, Jesus responded in the following manner. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham would not have done that. In Jesus' eyes, being a child of Abraham was not about a person's bloodline. It was about following Abraham's example of faith that was expressed through righteous conduct. Far from acknowledging either their prejudice or their violent intentions, these religious leaders attempted to defend themselves by attacking Jesus with an overly racist comment. They said, Surely we're right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon, aren't we? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. The religious leaders of Jesus' day viewed Gentiles with contempt. They took a similar view of Samaritans who came from a mixed ancestry of Jewish and Gentile parents. Jesus did not defend himself against the accusation of being a Samaritan. Since he himself was not a racist, he would have seen no reason to deny a mixed racial heritage. In fact, according to Matthew 1.5, one of Jesus' ancestors was a Canaanite woman named Rahab. The religious leaders of Jesus' day dishonored him when they claimed he was demon-possessed. Prejudice demonizes the other to safeguard the status of a privileged group. Jesus correctly pointed out that this kind of thinking dishonors God. He was also correct in linking prejudiced attitudes to violent intent. Unfortunately, Jesus' own disciples were not free of this prejudice. Once, when traveling through Samaria, the people of a Samaritan village refused to accept Jesus and his message. Luke 9.53 tells us, they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. In the minds of these Samaritans, anyone traveling to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, was an enemy. In the environment of racial tension between Jews and Samaritans, prejudice went both ways. Two of Jesus' disciples responded to the Samaritan village with a prejudice of their own. They asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? All of our ancient New Testament manuscripts then say that Jesus turned and rebuked them. Some manuscripts also have Jesus telling these followers, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. Thinking that they were serving God, they harbored a racial prejudice that led them towards violence. Jesus' disciples were not only prejudiced against Samaritans, 
they also looked down on Canaanites. In Matthew chapter 15, a Canaanite woman approached Jesus to ask him to heal her daughter. His disciples responded by urging him to quote-unquote send her away. According to Dr. Lynn Kohick of Wheaton College, Matthew used the word Canaanite in his description of the woman likely to highlight what would have been perceived as a racial divide between her and the disciples. In contrast, the Gospel of Mark uses the common language of Jesus' day and simply refers to the woman as a Syrophoenician. Jesus first responded to the woman by citing the very prejudice his disciples would have been taught to believe. He told her, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. We find the story in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Dr. Kohick explains that this exchange between Jesus and the Canaanite woman follows a literary pattern common to ancient rhetorical literature. In this pattern, a person who wrongly claims a position of privilege is chastised by the obvious virtue of a supplicant who is commonly viewed as inferior. A famous instance of this pattern is found in Macrobius' celebration of Roman history and culture called the Saturnalia. Macrobius tells the story of an old soldier who desires the Emperor Augustus of the first century AD to speak on his behalf in court. Initially, the Emperor refuses to go himself, but offers to send a representative. At this, the man raises his sleeve to expose his scars and shouts that he did not seek a substitute when he went to war for Augustus at the Battle of Actium. Macrobius notes that Augustus was suitably chastened. Not wanting to appear haughty or ungrateful, Augustus appeared in court, thereby serving his subordinate and highlighting his noble character. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus follows this pattern to set an example for his disciples. He creates a situation in which a Canaanite woman can demonstrate the error of popular prejudice by being honored by God for her faith in the Messiah. This lesson would not have been lost on his disciples. In reality, Jesus did not come only to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. On the contrary, Jesus explains in John 12:32 that he came to draw all people to himself. In the Greek language of the New Testament, Jesus used the word pantus, meaning all persons, or literally every single one. In fact, Jesus went out of his way to counteract the prejudices of his day. In John chapter 4, he shared his message with a Samaritan woman. Both women and Samaritans were looked down upon by the religious elite. Jesus explained to her that it did not matter 
whether people worshipped God in Jerusalem or on a mountain in Samaria. God welcomes everyone who worships him, quote-unquote, in spirit and in truth. We find that in John chapter 4, verse 23. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus honored the request of a Canaanite woman. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Those in attendance thought that Jesus should honor the centurion because of his financial contributions to a local synagogue and because of his love for the nation of Israel. In contrast to this way of thinking, Jesus honored the man's request simply because he had faith. In fact, Jesus contradicted the bystanders' nationalist sentiments by saying, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In his life and message, Jesus fulfilled the promise made to Jacob in Genesis 28:14, which reads, Every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. Jesus, a descendant of Jacob, blessed Jews, Samaritans, Romans, and Canaanites alike. He died on the cross to atone for the sins of every single person. He did not embrace racism or sexism. And when people confused any form of prejudice with the will of God, Jesus rebuked them. John the Baptist took a similar approach to the religious elite in Matthew chapter 3, addressing those who claimed a privileged status on the basis of their ancestry. John said, Don't think you can say to yourselves, We have Father Abraham, because I tell you that God can raise up descendants for Abraham from these stones. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul explains that God considers anyone who follows Abraham's example of faith to be a descendant of Abraham. Paul says God's favor and blessing have nothing to do with race or gender. In verse 28 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus.